Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. During the month of Elul, and continuing all the way to the end of Sukkot, we recite Psalm 27 in conjunction with the morning and afternoon prayer services. In other traditions, we recite the psalm after the morning and evening prayer services. Some conclude the recitations on Yom Kippur, but it's more generally the case to continue the recitation through Sukkot and until Hoshana Rabbah or Shemini Atzeret. In that case, we are saying Psalm 27 at least twice a day for just over 50 days, which is to say that we should have recited this psalm more than 100 times by the time we reach the end of the festival of Sukkot. This is in keeping with the maxim in Pirkei Avot, which says, He who recites his lesson 100 times is not like the one who recites it 101 times. Full disclosure. For most of the first seven days of Elul, I forgot to recite the psalm, to which the sages would probably say, He who forgets to recite his lesson is a knucklehead. Why does the synagogue liturgy want us to recite Psalm 27 more than 100 times between Rosh Chodesh Elul and the end of Sukkot? It's not an ancient custom. It's a recent innovation. There is an ancient association between the psalm and the holidays. As I explained a few weeks ago, the Midrash says that the psalm hints about the fall holidays, the Lord is my light on Rosh Hashanah, and my salvation on Yom Kippur. He will hide me in his shelter, his sukkah, on the, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent on Sukkot. Nevertheless, it was not until the 16th century, or perhaps even later, that it became a custom to recite this psalm during the high holiday season as we do today, and it did not appear in printed versions of the Siddur until 1794. From where did this new custom come? It's a curious innovation introduced by the mystics, which now is nearly universal in Judaism. I don't know if it's actually universal, but at least among Hasidim and certainly in Ashkenaz tradition and in Nusach Safard, it's universal. This is an amazing thing. Judaism doesn't change that much. How did such a universal custom get introduced into the liturgy so recently? And what's the significance of that? When something like this happens, we should take it as a revelation from heaven. So to put it another way, what was God trying to communicate by adding Psalm 27 to the daily prayers during the months of Elul and Tishrei? I believe that Psalm 27 was added to the liturgy to prepare us for the last days, the awesome days, the coming of the Messiah, and the days of trouble in which we now live. The month of Elul, the high holiday season, the days of awe, all point us toward an expectation of the coming kingdom and the fearsome day of the Lord. Psalm 27 spiritually prepares us for that day. The mystics have noticed some significant clues in the psalm. For example, they notice that God's name, Hashem, occurs 13 times during the course of Psalm 27, corresponding to the 13 attributes of God's mercy which we recite in the Slichot during this season and which the Lord declared to Moshe on Mount Sinai during the 40 days between Elul 1 and Yom Kippur. 
The psalm, therefore, has embedded within it a subtle hint about this season, namely that this is the season in which to seek out God's mercy, pardon, and forgiveness, as Moses did on Mount Sinai, after the sin of the golden calf. There's another subtle hint that associates the psalm with this season. It says in verse 13, Lulei ha'amanti li rot betuv Adonai be'eretz chaim. We can translate that to say, If I had not trusted that I would see the goodness of Hashem in the land of life. The first word of that verse, lulei, if not, really sticks out because the Masoretic marks have extra dots around the letters. Lamed, Vav, Lamed, Aleph, Lulei. What do the extra dots mean? I don't know. It usually means that the Masoretes responsible for transmitting the text detected some difficulty in the text. Perhaps it indicates that the word seems out of place. The verse would have been easy to interpret if not for the presence of that seemingly misplaced word lulei. Take away that word and it would read, I trusted to see the goodness of Hashem in the land of life. The land of life is the world to come, the reward of the righteous. In terms of the holidays, it's the goal of having one's name recorded in the book of life. But the verse becomes difficult to interpret when we add the word lulei to the front. If not, I had trusted to see the goodness of Hashem in the land of life. Rashi explains the dots this way. He says, The word lulei has dots on it to expound that which our rabbis expounded. I know that you give reward to the righteous in the world to come, but I don't know if I have a portion with them or not. The sages explain, why is the word lulei dotted? David said before the Holy One, blessed be he, King of the universe, I assuredly trust in thee, knowing that thou wilt properly reward the righteous when the time shall come, that is, in the kingdom in the world to come. But I doubt whether I shall have a share with them. In other words, David added the word lulei to the beginning of Psalm 27.13 to indicate his uncertainty about attaining the reward of the world to come because he was aware of his own unworthiness. He was conscious of his sins. This is similar to what the apostle says, If we say we are without sin, we are liars. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my physical body. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. From this perspective, the word lulei is there to remind a person that he or she does not deserve to enter the kingdom or to receive a portion in the world to come. Why should God grant you deliverance or eternal life? On the other hand, Midrash Tehillim has a different explanation for the dots around the word lulei, explaining that every instance of this word invokes the merit of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Zavdai Bar Levi said, Every place that it says lulei invokes the merit of the forefathers. Rabbi Yochanan said, The merit of the omnipresent one. And Rabbi Levi said, Every place it says lulei invokes the merit of the Torah and the merit of faith, as it says, if I had not trusted. To summarize these ideas, 
The word lule at the beginning of Psalm 27:13 adds a note of uncertainty. David is about to thank God for a portion in the world to come, but he adds a caveat remembering his sins and that he is unworthy of the reward of the righteous. Nevertheless, he believes and places his faith in God and thereby invokes the merit of the patriarchs, the merit of Hashem, his Torah, and most importantly, the merit of faith. These ideas correlate with our objectives during the season of repentance, during which we remember our sins and our misdeeds, our shortcomings and our failures. We take account of our sins in preparation for judgment. Lule, if not. But ultimately, we rely not on our own merit or righteousness, but on the merit of another and on the goodness of Hashem in whom we place our faith. When I first started to pray Psalm 27, I did so from another yet related perspective. I did so from an end times type of eschatological perspective. That's because I view the high holidays in that end times type of light as shadows of what is yet to come. The holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, for me, are prophetic rehearsals for the days of trouble called the birth pangs of, of the Messiah, which will culminate in the second coming of our Master Yeshua. So when I read the words of the psalm, it's always with an eye toward the coming of Yeshua and the day of trouble which looms ahead. This year, the year 5780, corresponding to 2020 in the civil calendar, has been a year marked by signs, portents, calamities, and judgments which can only be honestly interpreted as messages and perhaps warnings from heaven. I believe we have seen more of the travail of the birth pangs of Messiah clustered into this current year than I have ever seen in my 52 years. The world today continues to reel about in chaos, staggering around like a drunk man who has drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. The incredible images, the rampant social unrest, and the unbelievable circumstances continue to occur in the daily news so rapidly that, frankly, I have lost interest and ceased to catalog them. I did notice that California is burning down, and you might remember that Australia already did burn down this year. Last week in California, what has been called a lightning siege, involving some of the most terrific lightning storms ever recorded, set the West on fire. Nearly 11,000 strikes in 72 hours ignited fires all over the state which continue to blaze, and similar wildfires dot the continent. Last week after the wedding in Montana, I went down to Yellowstone Park for a quick visit with some of my children and their friends, and we were staying in a cabin at Old Faithful. The air was cloudy with smoke from the numerous wildfires, and half the park was, had been closed due to fires. The smoke grew so heavy that the smoke alarm in our cabin went off around 2 a.m. Meanwhile, in the Gulf of Mexico, for the first time ever, two hurricanes simultaneously strike and converge. At the same time, political rivalry, plots, and disinformation continue to tear apart the fabric of our society, and riots continue to shake our cities. Kenosha, Wisconsin, burned. 
Wednesday night, Minneapolis went under curfew again and the National Guard was deployed again. Thursday night, St. Paul went under curfew again. And that's just this last week. Far in the distance, if you listen, you will hear the drums of war continue to beat and a spirit of unrest stirs the nations. Economies are cracking. The locust plague continues unabated. Storm damage to Iowa has compromised this year's harvest. The pandemic continues and the beat goes on. In times such as these, a person might become fearful or trepidatious. Where is all this going? How much worse does this get? Should we be afraid? Is it time to panic yet? King David answers for us. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. King David reminds us that our hope is in Hashem. We need not fear the things that people of this world fear. We need not live in dread nor give ear to rumors of war and evil tidings. As the prophet Isaiah says, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Even if the world, even if the whole world turns against us and war rises against us, we will not lose our confidence because our attention is fixed upon Hashem. There is only one concern that should occupy us, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, the presence of God. Our one purpose, our one delight, and our one mission is to seek Hashem and to bask in the glory of the light of his presence. We need not fear the coming day of trouble, because he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. No matter what troubles befall the world, the Lord will rescue us and lift us up from their midst. David pictures himself surrounded by foes on the field of battle, and he pictures Hashem lifting him up out of their midst and giving him the high ground. He pictures Hashem lifting him up out of the fray, out of the chaos, out of the mayhem and confusion, and bringing him into his holy tabernacle where he can worship the Lord. He says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David is unmoved by the troubles and sorrows of this world because he seeks God's presence. This is the mission of your soul. It is the meaning of your life. This is the main thing, to seek God's presence in the here and now, to learn to find him and to connect with him in this world, and then to remain in his presence, conscious of his presence with us continually. 
Listen to David's voice as he seeks for the presence of the Lord in the midst of his distress. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David cries out to the Lord for mercy, begging God to favor him with his face, with his presence. He has discovered that there is nothing else in life on which he may rely. He says, For my father and my mother have have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I believe that in these words, David refers to the death of his parents. The death of his parents leaves him to realize that in this world, there is nothing on which he may rely, no one on whom he may rely or in whom he may place his trust other than Hashem. Oddly enough, the sages explain these words, my father and my mother have forsaken me, to refer to the moment of conception at which David's soul, entering into the newly fertilized embryo, realizes that his parents are unaware of his existence and turned away from him. But the Lord watches over the unborn child, nurturing it and bringing it to fullness. So he says, the Lord will take me in. Now in the day of trouble, surrounded by calamity, he remembers that God has been his refuge and his helper since the day of his conception. He asks God to lead him in the way of righteousness, lest he fall to his adversaries. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Adversaries and false witnesses rise up against him, a scene that, for me, invokes the high holiday images of the Satan that stands to accuse Israel in the court of Hashem on the day of judgment. In the day of judgment, our own sins rise up to testify against us. That's why we do our best to repent prior to the judgment. We want to neutralize those sins that seek to testify against us. We ask God to teach us his ways and to lead us in his paths. When repenting, you should say to God, Forgive me for my sin, Lord. I have done such and such, and I shall continue to do so unless you rescue me. Teach me your way and lead me in your paths. Here's the program. We are now well into the month of Elul, and the days of repentance are slipping away. Don't waste any more time. Write those things that need to be righted and rectify what needs to be rectified and seek the Lord. Great is repentance. Paul Levertov says, repentance is the soul reconnecting with its original source, which is Hashem. But repentance alone is not enough. David says, lule. If not, if I did not believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the end, David relies upon his faith, his faith in God. 
He trusts in the character of God, in God's mercy, His kindness, His forgiveness. He trusts in the revelation of God's essential character as a God who is the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. He remembers the 13 attributes of God's mercy revealed in the Torah through Moses, and Psalm 27 invokes the name of the Lord 13 times. The last of the 13 repetitions of God's name is in these words, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's the secret. If you look closely at the word lule, you will discover its secret. The word lule is elul, spelled backward. This is surely the main reason that the mystics realized Psalm 27 should be recited in the month of Elul. I invite you to do the same as King David. Place your trust in God and in his unchanging goodness and enter into the land of the living. Too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I choose to enter into the land of the living, the hope of the kingdom, and a portion in the world to come. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul.